0: 12 minutes it is after 8 p.m. Now, the city of Cape Town has allowed the disputed Rondebosch Golf Course to continue operating, uh, albeit, of course, with some conditions. And uh, this on the back of uh, uh, contestation between the city and activist group, and many others uh, who are accusing the city of, uh, I guess, uh, by living a flat rate uh, that uh, certainly pales in significance to some of the membership fees that are paid. Uh, at this club uh, for effectively subsidizing the wealthy elite at the expense of some of the housing constraints and challenges uh, faced by uh, many poor and working class people in the city of Cape Town. Now the golf course uh, was also the center of housing protests in March of this year or or last year I should rather say when members of Reclaim the City and Funukwazi occupied the golf course demanding that that land be used for social housing. Now to understand these particular I guess contemporary objections Uh, to this uh, specific land use and uh, who gets to benefit from that and the interests uh, that are served by allocating this land for that specific purpose Uh, I'm joined by Professor Uma Dupela Mestri and uh, also uh, I guess uh, uh, Professor Uma uh, will share with us uh, some of the history behind this land which uh, I guess no doubt uh, also adds a further layer of complication uh, to the story. Uh, Professor Uma good evening to you and welcome. Uh, Good
1: evening and thank you for having me on
0: Prof, I want us maybe to start off here with some of the history. Um, Certainly in a lot of the reports and the analysis, uh, there's this assumption that, you know, this Rondebosch golf course has always been there, and uh, I guess since the 30s Mm. or so, uh, and therefore, just on the basis of history of occupation, has the right to be there, has the right to exist, and any claim that that land should be used for a different social use uh, on the basis of that history of uh, occupation is often seen as uh, something that's um, unreasonable and uh, I can stretch it a bit further, ludicrous. Talk to us about the history of this specific piece of land and I guess um, um, the relationship between the golf course itself and some of the forced removals we saw uh, in a place like Black River um, in the 20th century.
1: Uh, you know, um, Dr. Coney Benson and myself were both responsible for writing up uh, an objection. You know, we were one of 1,682 objectors uh, to this uh, Uh, plan to have the Rondebosch Golf Course uh, renewed. And our one fundamental objection was that, you know, we we must recognize that during apartheid there were many, many people in the city of Cape Town and many organizations that were very complicit with apartheid. You know, they made the system work for um, them. And we're not concerned about the vast scale of removals that were taking place. So just in terms of the Randebosch golf course, now to the south of the Randebosch golf course was a community called the Black River Community. And um, our objection was really based on the fact that the Randebosch golf course, at the time of group areas Removals, actually wrote a letter to the group areas board and in, in, you know, the, the chairperson of the golf course wrote and said that we actually look forward to a brighter outlook with the Group Areas Act because it will see to the removal of the scholarly type and non European element which should not be near an elite golf course. And so they were one of those who actually supported the removal of black people in the neighborhood. So uh, that is what we objected to uh, primarily, that here was a golf course asking for the removal of people. And now in 2020, we reward that golf course by saying, you mm. now carry on, remain on this land. Um, You know, and, um, you know, so I know people say don't live in the past. I've seen this on so many Facebook sites, people saying, oh, move on. You can't be talking about the past and so forth. But that is not, um, uh, only white people can tell black people something like that. Mm
0: -hmm. And to be Mm -hmm. a black
1: person, one wants acknowledgement, you know, that here there were people who were complicit, who benefited by removals, and so forth, and that there were bl- black people removed across the city. Yeah, so by 1971, yeah. over 27,985 families were removed in the city of Cape Town. So the city of Cape Town hasn't had a good track record um, in doing something bold and innovative. You know, so uh, I'm actually uh, disappointed by the decision, but I'm actually, it's not unexpected. Um. The it's interesting. also Prof.
0: doesn't have... Yeah, sorry, Prof, just just if we can pause there, because I, I don't want us to, to maybe sort of shift from that point. You make an interesting point around, I guess, some of the contests to the historic and even contemporary claims for justice that are being made here. Uh, even, you know, I think the current manager of the golf course saying, look, if one individual at some point in the history of this golf course was lobbying for the, you know, uh, um, expulsion of people from this particular area, it can't be read as the sum total of, I guess, the social contribution of the Ronde Bosch Golf Club, and uh, one would think that, in many ways, that that overlooks even the contemporary dimensions of some of those historic acts of uh, dispossession that happened during that time.
1: Yes, and I think one must also, uh, you know, make a point that places like golf courses, well, firstly, you know, it's a very elite activity. I mean, yes. who's the membership of such golf courses? But in the apartheid era, golf courses were generally used to act as a buffer between white group areas and black group areas. You know, Mm -hmm. this huge layer of greenness was meant to actually separate that. So it was actually part of the planning of the apartheid city that you need spaces like this to actually divide people. And so, you know, there, there needs to be a new look at how we... Change that spatial history of, uh, you know, that we are faced with. And as I said, you know, the record in the city and in this province has not mm. been good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Prof, let's pause here for a second and uh, take a quick spot break. When we come back, uh, I want us to just talk, I guess, about what you make of uh, the justification that the city has given here for the continuation of yeah. this lease. And uh, I was saying earlier, I mean, if you look at how much that flat tariff rate was uh, and you compare that. Uh, to uh, a monthly fee for unlimited rounds of golf uh, on the fairways. It certainly pales in uh, significance. I mean, 1,600 rand one one individual would pay to have access to the club for a month, Uh, and yet, you know, the club wasn't even paying that in a year to the city of Cape Town. Uh, And I want us to maybe unpack some of uh, what you make of the response that the city of Cape Town has given to uh, some of the protests around this issue. Nineteen minutes it is after 8 p.m. We are in conversation with uh, Professor Uma Dupela Mestri uh, who's the Deputy Dean in uh, the Faculty of Arts at the University of the Western Cape and we're talking about uh, the uh, issues around Rondebosch golf course and uh, why some of that land can't be used for social housing. We'll continue after this. It is indeed and uh, the time is 22 minutes after 8 p.m. and uh, we have a conversation this evening, uh, uh, casting our attention all the way out to the Western Cape, uh, where contests, I guess, uh, sharpened by some of the activist work of uh, the likes of Ndifunu and uh, many progressive academics has uh, certainly sharpened uh, contradictions around uh, the use of space in that city and, of course, the location of uh, human settlements uh, in land close to economic activity and uh, social housing and uh, many of those debates. And I'm joined by Professor Umar uh, Dupela Mestri, who's the Deputy Dean in the Arts Faculty at uh, the University of the Western Cape. And uh, Prof, you were saying before the break that uh, I guess these golf courses played a very, not, not just a recreational function, but they also played a very political function uh, for uh, the grand project of apartheid and um, its spatial dimensions in creating this buffer between spaces for white people and spaces for black people. Um, and, and, and when you think about, I guess, in the contemporary uh, 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 moment, some of the justifications for why a beautiful, uh, very elite uh, golf course like that can continue to coexist alongside untold and unspeakable poverty uh, and, and uh, the inequality of it all, uh, what are some of the arguments and uh, the justifications that are being given by the city of Cape Town? One for, I guess, allowing uh, the golf course to continue operating, and of course, uh, maybe uh, behind some of the c- conditions uh, that they've been able to uh, uh, place this time around.
1: Uh, yes, I just wanted to make a correction though, I'm not a deputy dean in the arts faculty, I used to be uh, a deputy dean. It's a kind of uh, function that changes and I'm okay. a professor of history um, in the history department. Sure, um, sure. So that's just a small college, uh correction. And okay, I don't look at the city council's um, you know, uh, the documents that's it's uh, the principle um, for renewing the lease. And, um, you know, I know I that basically it provides for communities, that it um, provides for um, community, and it, it's also very significant in terms of um, the city's, um, you know, revenue, because it contributes uh, in terms of major cost events in there and contributes to tourism and so forth. I've seen that, but I think the more compelling argument is in the, in the FUNA response, which is the huge disappointment of public land this not being used to redress, the major demand for housing, for poorer working-class communities, and for changing the city. So uh, one of the few things that are in the document, I can see a few concessions made by the city council. So in response to the protest, there is definitely, I think, had we not protested, um, you know, these changes might not have been made. So we should look at it that there is some light there. Uh Well, for one, the lease has been increased from... Um, the thousand run a year to ten thousand run a year, which is still quite low for a you know a, a club like the Randboshka Club. Um, then we have um, the important provision of the two-year cancellation. So there is a possibility that this lease could be cancelled. Um, you know, this, uh, in this period. Um, and also a third concession is that there's a possibility of the size of the golf course being limited at some future stage. So, um, you know, these, are, these, are, these are, this is definitely an improvement on the original sort of an unconditional renewal of a, um, of a lease. One of the things that I saw in, in the document is that the process is that the property is not suitable for housing at this point. So I wondered, so what is going to change And how is it going to change in the future? You know, what is going to change? Because the city council says that you can't use this land for housing because um, of uh, the potential for flooding. And there's also something about road access. But it says it's not suitable for housing at this point. You know, so I would have liked to have had, you know, so what is going to change in the near future? There's the city council could provide a vision of something that is going to change in the near future. So I thought that's mm. a very really weak weak point in the document.
0: Well, what do you make of? I mean, that just the floodline argument. I mean, uh, I was trying to wrap my head around that, and maybe I guess I, I don't have enough environmental science background or, or background on that score. But uh, you know, they're suggesting that there's a certain function having a golf course there plays and ensuring that there isn't flooding in some of the surrounding areas. Well what's the story with that?
1: Well I mean I, I'm not a you know planner and I don't have the sort of the background, but I would guess that we would have um you know that the city council did do proper assessments of this. But it's not all the land that is pr- uh, you know prone to flooding. So um what Indifuna Uazi in says use part of the land at least for you know uh to build houses and um so I think in this um concession where the council is admitting that there's a possibility that the property could be used for housing in the future, um I would suggest that there are things that could be done. You know, so um you know we have a new... Uh, that's going to be approved by the city council at the end of the year. I regard it as a big loss opportunity for the city to do something, uh, you know, bold. The city doesn't like the city council doesn't like shaking up things. Lots of things remain the same. Uh, road names remain the same. Um, privilege remains the same. Mm. The working class remain out of the city centre. Um, if there's integration, it's In neighborhoods, it's really the middle class who could afford to move into former white um, group areas. But, um, you know, basically not much has changed. Cape Town used to be one of the most integrated cities um, in the 1940s. And by the end of apartheid, it became one of the most segregated cities in the country. And if I think we probably have the distinction about, of being the most divided city in the country at the moment, hmm. you know, divided in that's, all its resources yeah. and lack of integration.
0: And that's certainly no, uh, I guess, um, sort of pole position or prize position that any city would like to have. And uh, Prof, yes. uh, we're going to have to leave it there, but uh, real pleasure catching up with you. And uh, really, thank you so much for the rich insights on... Um, I guess not only just the contemporary debates around uh, land use uh, that have been thrown up by this particular case, but also some of that rich history as well. And uh, I really, really appreciate that you could come on the platform and share I that with us I
1: just wanted to evening. say one thing, that it would have been yeah, really sure. good for the Roundabout Golf club, uh, club. Instead of saying it was one individual, it actually wasn't one individual. That was the mm. chairman of the golf club who wrote on behalf of the members of the club. And it would be nice if they acknowledge that history and also apologise to the black people who were removed mm. from the neighbouring areas, and um, you know, do something commemorative, you know, yeah. to recognise this past, especially especially if we're keen work. on,
0: definitely, especially if uh, people profess, uh, as they often do, their commitment to reconciliation, restorative justice, and everything else, uh, that uh, yeah, seems sorry, to be emptied of one meaning. Of
1: Things You know, apologize and acknowledge, you know, and then do something to make um, things better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Prof, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it that there was Professor Uma Tupela Mestri, uh, Professor of History at uh, the University of the Western Cape. And I guess, yeah, when you get down on that path of um, asking for forgiveness, recognizing and acknowledging uh, some of the... um, dispossession that has happened in the past i think what often spooks out a lot of people whose embedded interests are involved in cases like this is that once you acknowledge it there's something you have to do about it you can't just say yeah now i know uh yeah now that you know what are you going to do about it now that you know and we're quite interested in undoing spatial apartheid uh, within our cities and uh, within our living spaces what are you going to do about it and i think the, the city of the cape town here has missed a massive opportunity and as we often say here, yeah, we'll give them an opportunity as well to speak to us. So if you're listening in from the city of Cape Town, yeah, we'll give you right of response on that score. But uh, I, I think I'm going to say this: I think you've missed an opportunity, um, not only just at a symbolic level, but even from a social and spatial justice perspective, um, to really show that uh, you know um, the seventy-five thousand people that are sitting on housing lists and many more. Uh, who are sort of uh, uh, qualifying for social housing close to where they work so that they don't have to spend considerable amounts of transport every day moving from the inner city to, uh, you know, uh, the Cape Flats. Yeah, that that opportunity has been a missed opportunity. And uh, I think if the city of Cape Town would like to respond to that one, please come through and talk to us uh, because, uh, yeah, you, you got to explain to me how... Maybe Andy Jalikov, but you've got to explain to me. I mean, how in a country like ours, where we recognize all of the land hunger close to economic opportunity, how you can justify uh, continuing to have a golf course there when uh, uh, many others, uh, many active citizens are raising alternative land uses there that are in line with the constitutional promise of this country. Let's take a brief break. And uh, when we come back, we go into our communities, we take a look at what's happening. Uh, I saw the story yesterday of a crude oil spillage in uh, Umbilo. A river all the way out in Ballet in Durban. Uh, we'll take a look at that and uh, also going to check in with uh, municipal workers in the northwest town of Clarkstorp in Matlosana, uh, who are going on strike, demanding COVID-19 allowances. We'll also touch on what's happening uh, with uh, the man known as Major One, uh, Shepherd Bushiri of the Enlightened Christian Gathering Church. And uh, we're going to uh, check in with a report put together there by my colleague, uh, waone Motua.